Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel and he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain. I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For John 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell? I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mott. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. Amen. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight as we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible, lays on the pulpit it's a reminder he used to be laying down lines of cocaine he used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle he used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife but praise the Lord God created him and ordained him to walk in good works it's a reminder Christian I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. Amen. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. Forgiving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two. By surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me, and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose.
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming. I love to be with God's people, and boy, tonight is no exception to that. It's wonderful to be here. Choir, thank you for singing, and I appreciate that, and then everybody who participated. Uh, great job, Brother Colton, leading the singing and getting us going on that. I love to be in God's house, and I'm very thankful. I had the joy. My dad got saved when he was um, 11 years old. Uh, he, his mom was an alcoholic. Family was dysfunctional. Challenges in every way. Crystal balls and carrot cards and things of that nature. And a Sunday school teacher in a local church was given a room by his pastor and said, Would you 
would you teach the junior age boys? And he wasn't content to have one or two kids. He went out every Saturday and sometimes the nights and tried to find kids to come and be in his class. And he, my dad, my uncle told me, just a little small fella compared to my uncle. He said, just a little man, John, but that guy would get us to go in there and he would teach us the Bible. And of course, your dad and I, we just tried to stay away from mom on the weekends because it was so difficult to be there when mama was drunk. And so he gave us a chance to be there, taught us the Bible, and gave us a cookie and a, a cup of, of Kool-Aid, and, and we went off to big church. One day, he tapped your dad on the shoulder and said, Richard, could you stay after class? He put a folding chair in the corner. That's where the teacher sat. He turned another folding chair facing him, and he said, Richard, sit here. And he began to take a Bible and show your daddy how to be saved. And he said, that day was the best day of your dad's life. He always, he came into big church about 20 minutes later, said, Douglas, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know for sure I'm saved now. I'm going to heaven. Douglas, you're going to hell. You're not saved yet, you know. And he was giving it to him. He said, Richard, we're talking, just listen in church here, man. You know? And all week he was so excited. He went home and told mom he was saved. And mama was drunk. And she said, no, you can't be saved. The Bible says you have to be 12 to be saved. And you're still 11. And... Uh, <clears throat> He said, no, Mama, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And that week, that week, all week long, your, your dad was so excited. I told, I told him, I said, listen, tell the teacher to tap me on the shoulder today. I want to sit in that chair. And the next week he said, I got saved. The teacher showed me how to be saved. And, of course, what a blessing to know that a local church did its job. Everybody gets saved. There has to be three factors. There has to be the Word of God because faith cometh by hearing. There has to be the Spirit of God because He has to bring conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He's the one I can't bring anyone conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, but I'm glad He does His job. And then the third factor is a local church has to do its job. A local church needs to protect and to propagate the truth. And, uh, boy, the way you keep the truth and protect the truth is by keep getting it out. <laughs> You ever hear something real funny? You heard a joke. You say, oh, man, when I go home, I'm going to tell my family about this joke. And you get home and you can't remember the joke? <laughs> that ever happened to you or is it just me that happens to you? Oh, it's frustrating. You're like, oh, it was so funny. I laughed. Oh, what was it? You know how you can remember a joke? Tell a joke. <laughs> you tell it, you remember it. You know how you keep the truth? You tell the truth. Amen. You keep getting the gospel out and you'll keep that. So many churches. And the Bible says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. truth. Yeah, there's a lot of churches. They have buildings, they have parking lots, they have cars, they have pastors, have programs. They just don't have the truth. Couldn't find the truth there with a flashlight. And you went to ask the pastor how to get to heaven married that they wouldn't know. He or she wouldn't be able to tell you. Wouldn't be able to tell you how to get to heaven from there because they've lost the truth. And boy, I'm so glad for local churches and uh, each of our pastors that are here, you represent. Uh, a local church and the vision. You're the captain of world evangelism. And I am so glad that you are doing what God's called you to do. There's just two positions open in Christianity. One is to be the pastor of your church. The other one is to help your pastor pastor that church. And that's if your job is to pastor, then do the best job you can. If your job is to, is to help your pastor, then decide, you know what, I want to be a dedicated helper. And I'm going to help my pastor Pastor the church God's given to pastor and do the very best you can do in any arena and play your role. And it's wonderful. Labors together with God. I've been thinking about this theme since uh, 
Pastor Rice sent me an email and told me this is what they're going to be doing, and, and I'm excited about this. He's hoping to baptize son, someone Sunday morning and break right through that, laboring together, just break through that and uh, be excited about that. 149 days without an accident, and the last accident was Brother Rice. He had an accident, and so this is going great right here. And so you guys all be careful going down the steps tonight. We don't want to make sure you're here for the safety meeting tomorrow morning at 8.30, all right? And uh, we'll, I don't know, we might, we might just eat, eat too many donuts and drink too, many too much coffee. We might have an accident after that. But uh, it's a joy to be with you. My wife and I are so thrilled to know what God is doing north of our border. But we're grateful for what God is doing south of your border, too. And, and I'm glad that we have a time. And it's a great time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, we can find all kinds of problems. But nothing happened in politics keeps me from telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Nothing happened in the world or attacks are going to keep you from going across the street and talking to someone about Christ or giving out a gospel track, as Pastor said just a moment ago. I'm so glad he said that. You know who gives out gospel tracks? People that have them. <laughs> if you don't have them, you're not going to give them out. I, I gave one today to a guy named Jason. I said, Jason, let me tell you, this tells you about Jesus. He said, Pastor, I'm from India, and I just got baptized a few weeks ago. He goes, I was Hindu, but now I'm, I'm a Christian. I just became a Christian. I said, oh, that's great. We're going to talk more about that in my stay there at the hotel, but I'm looking forward to that. You know, it tracks what they do. It tracks, determines someone's curiosity. You know, when you give someone a gospel track and they tear it up and throw it in the ground, you can take away that they're not really interested right now, right? You can say, oh, they're not real curious right now. That's what happens. They determine someone's curiosity. If they hand it back to you or lie to want it or whatever, you just know well, that they're not ready right now. They need a little more sunshine of God's love. They need a little more moisture from God's grace and His heavens to, to, to land on their heart. They're just not interested right now. So when you give a track, you can determine someone's interest. Now, if they take it and start looking at it uh, and start looking at that and say, you know, I've been looking for a church. Okay, now you know there's some interest there. Now you know you can, and they open up conversation with people. You can begin to talk with conversation. And then another thing I love a gospel track I love is they go places that you're not going to go. They'll end up in junk drawers and, and in people's pockets. I have a sweet little lady. She's a, a missionary's wife in Belarus. And her daddy was drunk on the, on, on the platform of a uh, train station. And somehow or another, someone gave him a track, and he took it. He put it in his pocket. He stumbled on home, and his wife pulled his clothes off and took his jacket off, and he passed out. And she looked at his jacket, and she found a track. And she had it set up into the wee hours of the morning and began to read that track. And by herself, she accepted the Lord as her Savior. Later that next week, she led her daughter through that track, and that little girl at 13 years old accepted the Lord. And now she's a pastor's wife in Belarus because of a gospel track. I remember one day watching a man kind of come into the church a little bit late, and he was over here on my right. And I saw him come in. I was very interested, but I preached the message and shook his hand. And he said, uh, I, I said, uh, I said, what brings you? He goes, oh, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, uh, Someone gave me a paper, and, um, and, but it's been a long time. And I said, I said, well, listen, can I talk to you about it? He goes, no, no, can, can you come to my house? His name was Andy, and then his wife's name was T, and I went to Andy and T's house, and we went and talked to them. And 
went through the gospel track, got, went through the gospel with them, and they both accepted Jesus Christ. He said, you know what happened? I was, um, he said, about, about a year and a half, two years ago, I was at a funeral of a family member, and a lady walked up to me, and she told me a track, and I have twin daughters. He said, you need to get those girls in church. You need to take them. Because by that time, I had a good job. I was doing good. I didn't have an interest in church. He said, I took the track, and I don't know how, but this over the last few weeks, I've been going through a hard time. He goes, that job I had, I got to have to get another job, and it doesn't pay as well. So I'm going through some problems with my wife, and the kids are struggling. I'm just not doing good. And Sunday afternoon, I was cleaning out a junk drawer, and I found that paper. I looked on there and said, you know, I can make it. It's only 4.30 now. I can be at that church the time that it starts. I just drove to the church tonight. And that's what God did to bring him to Jesus Christ, a gospel track. You know, you never can know what might happen with that. And I'm glad Pastor brought that to our attention this evening. And I love, love being with you. And I'm really glad to share a few moments. I know we didn't get in here to get out, but I don't want to be a long time. I heard about one guy. He said, I got so much to say in the message, I don't know where to start. A little kid in the back says, start somewhere toward the end. <laughs> so uh, we'll try to get started here shortly here in just a second. And, uh, but I am so glad to be with you. And I'll tell you a little bit more about our story maybe tomorrow. But I uh, had the joy to be raised in a Christian home. And my dad met my beautiful mom, Janelle, and they were married. And my dad's lived with Jesus for 28 years. But um, my mother had a great uh, background. Her, her dad was a Christian. Her mom was a Christian. And, and one of his grand, her grandparents were Christians. And, but um, they met each other, and God gave them a love relationship. They had six children. My name is John. I'm their oldest son. They, I have three brothers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we're all pastors of a church. We pastor a church in Indiana and Illinois, Texas, and Tennessee. And then we have two sisters, Acts and Romans. I'm just joking, not really. Uh, their names are Jan and Mary. But, but uh, my sister is a missionary in a, in a Muslim country of Adjur Bashan. And my other sister has taught in a Christian school for years. And so thankful for churches like this one. And uh, my dad had happy feet, so he didn't stay in one place very long. and moved around a lot. And, um, and, but we always had good men of God. Sometimes the church buildings were a little large, like this one was. Sometimes they were smaller. Sometimes the pastor was older. Sometimes he was younger. Sometimes he preached really long. Sometimes he preached really short. I like those short, short uh, messages. They had different, different styles and different backgrounds. Some went to Bible institutes, and some got master's degrees from college. One thing I just remember about my pastors, they all loved the Lord. And they did the best they could do, and they preached the Word of God, and they opened up camps and took us to camps and BBSs, and, and they fixed the buildings, and they put fuels in vans and buses and picked up people and took us to nursing homes, like Pastor Arbo was telling about just a few moments. What a great testimony that is. And it just did the right things the right way for the right reasons. And, boy, I'm so blessed by that. I got to watch that. I never thought I'd ever be a pastor. I was a school teacher for 11 years, and I had managed to preach seven times in my 11 years after I finished Bible college until I, until I became a pastor. And uh, three of those times, I was so nervous, I got sick and threw up, and it was miserable. And the other four times, the audience got sick and threw up, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. But I was grading my high school English papers, and, and on April the 18th in 2000, and a phone rang. I picked it up, and 
It was a deacon of a church, and they had not had a pastor what would be 13 months without a pastor. And uh, they said, really, everything, everyone is here is here because they want to be here. Everybody else has kind of left and wonder if you would be willing to come and be our pastor. And I said, well, you know, I'll pray for you, but I don't think I could be your pastor, you know. I could think about a couple people that might help you. And he goes, well, we don't want your recommendations. We want you to consider being our pastor. And that changed my life. And for these last 24 years now, almost, I've had the joy to partner with my wife and God's people and uh, in the work of the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not always the devil. The devil's strategies have not changed to attack the shepherd so he can scatter the sheep. They're always banging away. Every pastor has a bullseye on him. Every missionary has a bullseye on him that the devil's trying to get him to sit still for a second so he can let go his arrows of doubt and hurt and difficulties. That's why you want to be a blessing to your pastor and uh, be an encouragement to them. Uh, pastors struggle. It's not easy sometimes. I'm not seeking for any sympathy. I'm just telling you. Uh, they're just, you just got to put your pants on the same way everybody else does. You're just a human being. You have a different position. But uh, pastors oftentimes, they struggle with inadequacies. They don't feel like they're worthy to do it, and they're not doing a good job. And if they were doing a better job, more things would happen. They, they get bad thoughts that come to their mind that, and, and there's always bullies and critics, somebody in the congregation and somebody on the Internet, someone who watches the, the live stream just wants to give them an email or call them or text them and say that wasn't right or you need to study your Bible more or whatever. Just always have an opinion about something. Financial pressures, whatever financial pressures a person would have, they have a, more so in the ministry because God has designed money to be in the middle of things. And it's just... It's challenging. It's difficult. Uh, people, you know, when they call your pastor, they, you know, no one calls, you know, call nurse, call doctor, call policeman. But they'll say, call pastor. <laughs> you know, someone dies, call pastor. Have a baby, call pastor. You know, want to get married, call pastor. Can't pay your rent, call pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Having financial problems, call pastor. Marriage problems, call pastor. And you know, that's a wonderful role in the life of believers. At the same time, there's a lot of pressure that goes with that. A lot of challenges. And I, uh, I thank God for the men of God that are here. And I thank you for coming. And I'm thankful for this church, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Thank you for hosting the meeting and, and expending. Already you've been taking offerings over and over and praying for the meeting. And... Uh, I know a little bit about hosting a conference, and it's just not done on spare time and pocket change. And it, many of you who paid and taken time off work to come and be here and spend a couple days with us, thank you for coming. And uh, your presence and your participation are really big. Uh, we were going to have this meeting whether you came or not. <laughs> but because you came, it's a lot better. And your presence encourages me, it encourages my wife, it encourages Pastor and Mrs. Rice, and actually everybody around you. It's just a blessing that you would take the time and effort and energy to come. We're glad to be with you. Looking forward to sharing time together as we talk about laboring together. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 4, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Of course, the theme of the conference is laboring together, and that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Bible tells us 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Uh, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. By the way, God's looking for faithfulness, and he rewards faithfulness. Um, it, and really, faithfulness is the key to fruitfulness. And we want to be fruitful, but the truth of the matter is, God's looking at faith. He doesn't say, well done, now good and fruitful servant. Now, he wants us to be fruitful, but uh, we don't know all that's going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, another time, maybe, but... Uh, one thing the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he tells us that, that um, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. See, what's the Lord going to do when he comes? He's going to pull back the curtain of the evil works of darkness. What was really going in the satanic world against what, was going, what, 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 what we're trying to accomplish. And then he'll pull back another curtain, and that is the motives of the heart. What was really going on in, in here? Not only in your heart, but the heart of your adversaries, the heart of the people. And then shall every man have praise of God. And boy, friend, that's what we want to do. We want to, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to spend the rest of our eternity with him if we know him. We certainly would like to be faithful to him while we have a chance. And this is the parentheses of time. If you're going to do your giving, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Okay? Uh, listen, if there's no soul winning in heaven. There's no gospel tracts in heaven. There's no need for it. There's not going to be a missions conference in heaven. There's not going to be a, an offering taken in heaven for a building someplace. No, if you're going to do that, you've got to do that now. If you're going to witness, you might as well witness now. If you're going to give, let's give today. Let's find what we can do today and, because uh, Jesus is going to come. And if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to see him. And he says, it's the point of every man wants to die. And after that, it's the evaluation. And we'll give an account of the deeds done while in our body, while we're still breathing, what we did with our time and our talents, our, our training, our trials, our, our tribe, our, 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 uh, our teaching. Whatever happened to us, do you, I don't have to give an account for you. You don't have to give an account for me. But to whom much is given, <laughs> much is required. And may the Lord help us to be faithful about that. And he said, we're, but we're laborers together with God. I think sometimes every once in a while we get in a little thought that we think, oh, man, I want to do great things for God. I'm not in that group. I want to do great things for, with him. <laughs> I'm not interested in trying to press him. I can't do that. But I like going where he's going. Years ago, we have nine children. All of them are girls except for seven. And uh, we have all those kids. And, but when those kids were little, my wife, we'd get, uh, every few years, we'd get some nice carpet. And she'd say, John, let's take our shoes off at the door and, and put all the shoes there. And boys, so that was what we do. We would do that, and our kids did the same thing. So I'd come in and, and get my, uh, my shoes off and put them there. But whenever it was time to get my shoes on, you know, I'd, just, I'd, start, I'd sit down in the chair by the door and start putting my shoes on. Inevitably, one of the little kids would come up to me, and they go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. i say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're scurrying around trying to find their shoes. And then they get them together, and they go, Daddy, Daddy, I go, I go. I said, where am I going? I don't know. You know, they didn't know where I was going. They just wanted to go where I was going. You know why they want to go where I'm going? Because I have money, and they're broke. <laughs> I can drive a car. They can't drive a car. 
I like to stop at Tim Hortons. <laughs> I like to stop at a, at a convenience store. I like to get a snack every now and then. So they know if they go with Dad, he's got control, he's got money, and he likes snacks. You know, the truth of the matter is, when God puts his shoes on, you need to get your shoes together too. And say, Lord, I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you want me to be done. And that's important. Boy, that's important for all of us. Tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, laboring together through trials. Difficult times are, are just everyone has them. I have them and you have them. Maybe some of you say, Pastor, I, I'm not going to need this message. I'm doing good right now. Well, bless your heart. That's what they say in the South. If, they, if you don't really like someone, you just say, bless your heart. No, no. no, I'm just teasing. But you know, the truth of the matter is maybe you came here and said, Pastor, I, I'm doing great. I'm happy for you. Keep breathing. Because you're going to probably have some difficult times. You know, the Bible's all about people who had some difficult times. Uh, if you won't study, God tells the good and the bad and the ugly. He tells the good days of David. He tells some bad days of David. He says the good days of, of Saul when he was humble and his side. He talked about we're chasing donkeys. Then he talked about a time where he became presumptuous. He talks about Peter preaching at Pentecost, but he doesn't leave out that Peter cursed and denied the Lord. He tells the good and the bad. He tells about Paul and his missionary journeys and tells Paul and his big spat with, with uh, Barnabas. He kind of tells the good and the bad. Trials are reality. You can't listen to the Apostle Paul without reading 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and he goes through the litany of different things that he had gone through. Telling you what, when I look at that life, every once in a while someone will say, boy, you rode an airplane four hours with you big, tall, lanky guy and probably had to eat your knees. I always think about that. Uh, it's not so bad compared to the Apostle Paul's shipwrecks. I think I'll just take an airplane ride for three hours. It's not that big of a deal. But boy, he went through some difficult times. And Apostle Paul tells a little bit of a strategy that he goes through when he's laboring together with the Lord through some difficult times. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow with the pastors and the men laboring together through distractions and frustrations and attacks and difficulties. It, it comes. What did the Apostle Paul say? Well, if you would please look at 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 4, and let's read this if we can. If you're comfortable, uh, I want to make you uncomfortable, okay? I'm going to ask you to stand one more time if we can, please. You heard what the pastor's job is to do, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and so let's look at this real quickly if we can. Verse number 8. Uh, verse 7. How about reading verse 7 with me? Everyone ready? Together. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God. Verse 8 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered into death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, 
the life in you. Would you read verse 13, please? We, having the same spirit of faith, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. Redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17 and 18, let's read it together. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen. Our Father, I thank you for the privilege to be an extension of Pastor Rice uh, at this congregation tonight. And Lord, thank you for everybody who's here and then those who will come tomorrow after their midweek service is over. God, would you please work in our hearts? I know I'm nothing. I know you're everything. I know that you do not need me, but once again, I need you, and I pray you please help me. Thank you for the sweet friends who are here. Help me to say what I need to say fairly rapidly tonight, Lord. It's a long day. Many have driven a long time. But I pray you administer on the inside while I try to share, share a few thoughts on the outside. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is spending the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 talking about the wonderful privilege of getting people the gospel of Christ. All things are that because we have been given the, the gospel message in earthen vessels. Uh, it's, we're the vessel and the gospel is in us through the Holy Spirit of God and we're supposed to get it out to other people. But he goes into a little bit of a testimony. He said, look, we are troubled on every side. He said, I just feel like trouble is meeting me on every front. When I go over here, trouble is here. When I back up, trouble says I'm here. When I step forward, trouble. When I move over, there he is again. I'm troubled on every side. Have you ever had a day like that where it feels like the trouble just is all around you? Trouble's every place. The birds singing out your windows, a vulture. <laughs> it's not a good day. Difficult things. You, you, you're thinking to yourself, you can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. How much opposition I'm getting, how many difficulties I'm having. Well, Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I have a day like that. Your mama told you you'd have days like that. And this is one of those days. It's difficult. He said, we're troubling every side. But the Bible says, but we're not stressed out. We're not distressed. He said, I'm perplexed. He goes, I got more questions than answers. I'm scratching my head so much. I, I don't understand why is this happening. I'm perplexed. But I'm not in despair. He goes on to the next verse, I think verse number 9. Look at it, if you would please. He says, we're, verse 9, persecuted, but I haven't been forsaken. God's still with me. He says, I'm cast down, but I, I'm not destroyed. You know, whenever you have difficult trials of your life, and everybody has them, teenagers have them, single adults have them, married adults have them, senior saints have them, 
Pastors have them. Pastors' wives have them. Hey, nobody's exempt from problems. But someone said if all of our problems were hung out on the line, at the end of the day, you'd pick your problems and I'd pick mine. But we all have them. If we knew everybody's heartache in this room, if everybody just said, like, if just the people in the choir, and these are precious people, but if each of them just said, you know, one of the worst things ever happened to me, if each of them gave a testimony, we'd probably start crying and, and, and disbelief that how could they sing in the choir and have that happen to them if they revealed some of the deepest hurts. But Apostle Paul says, man, we're, we were, this, it's not a walk in the park what we're going through. He said, but I've learned a few things that I'm going to share with you. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He gives some strategies of what to do when you don't know what to do. What to, what to, what to do to, to work through the trials of life and labor together with God even though you got some pressure. Even though you've got trouble on every side and lots of more questions and answers and you're going through uh, times of persecution, you, you haven't been forsaken. Or even fallen down, but you're not destroyed. What do you do in times like that? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul did. Let's just see what he did. Number one, the Bible tells us that he believed God and he told him, I believe you. He believed God and he verbalized his faith in God. Look, if you will, please. He quoted Psalms 116 in verse number 13. Would you look at it? We having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I what? We also believe, and therefore speak. You know, one of the first things you can do when you have difficult times or trials that come to your life and my, my life, one of the things we need to do and make a shortcut to it is to say, God, I trust you. Amen. I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. Uh, James said like this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. I don't know about you, but trials and different kind of trials and joy don't go in the same sentence with me. When I have a problem, I do not want to work through my problem. I want to transition out of my problem. <laughs> Yesterday. But God wants to oftentimes transform me through my problem. And give me trust in Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The first thing that, that Paul said, one of the first things he does, number one, he says, you know what? I believe God and I verbalize my faith in him. I've, I've spoken. You know, that's, that's what happens when you get saved. I was witnessing to a lady last week, Katie, and I got to share the gospel with Katie. And Katie, at the end, I said, Katie, if Jesus is willing to accept your sin, would you be willing to accept his sacrifice? Because I've been waiting to do that, okay. I said, okay, do you believe you're a sinner and you can't save yourself? Oh, yes. Do you believe that sinners deserve hell to be separated from God forever? She said, I know. Do you believe that only Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection could forgive your sin if you would come and accept him as your Savior? If he will take your sin, will you take his son, Jesus Christ? She says, yes, I am. I said, you know, the, the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, Katie, and with the mouth. Confession is made. You know, that's how I got saved. When I got saved, someone told me, and they said, do you believe that, John? I said, yeah. He said, now would you ask the Lord to save you? For whosoever shall. Oh. 
You know, that's how we got saved. If you're here today, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, please don't pass go. <laughs> don't collect $200. Don't, don't do anything. Don't leave. Don't get in your car without. Say, well, my, well, my mama thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter if your mama thinks you're saved. Well, my pastor thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter that. Either you and God know that. If you don't know for sure you're saved, don't gamble. The greatest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you know. Well, I'm not sure I remember when I got saved. That's because you weren't there, okay? You need, to, you need to have a time and a place when you get that settled. When you exchange your sin for God's Son. And when you do that, you believe in your heart and you confess with your... But after we're saved, it doesn't stop with that. After we're saved... The just shall live by faith. And faith needs to be verbalized. When you have a difficult time and trouble backs you into a corner, maybe that's when you need to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who giveth to all men and upbraideth not, and it shall be. But let him ask in Faith, nothing, asking, faith. You see the verbal and the faith of the heart and the verbally asking God. Listen, when you go through difficult times, that's the time you might want to kneel on your knees and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand. i got more questions than answers. I've got, I've got trouble on every side. I've got persecution. I've got frustrations. I can't. I just feel like I'm going to blow up. That's when we need to say, God, I trust you. Believe and verbalize your faith. That's what Apostle Paul said he did. Number two, he made his focus Jesus. Did you see Jesus pop up on numbers of those pages? Looking unto Jesus. He authored and finished the race. And, and, and make your focus upon the Lord. I am so glad that, that I have Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus has me. I'm glad that in all, when it's all said and done, it's going to be Jesus and me for all eternity. So whatever problem I have today, if it is trouble on every side, I, I have Christ in my heart. The great song, What though wars may come with marching feet and beat of the drum, for I have Christ in my heart. What though nations rage as we approach the end of the age, for I have Christ in my heart. God is still on the throne, almighty God is he, and he cares for his own throughout eternity. So let come what may, whatever it is, I only say that I have Christ in my heart. I have Christ in my heart. But whatever's happened around me, I need to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, yes. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Amen. For me to live is... To die is gain. I am crucified with. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of. That's Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. When you have troubles, number one, believe God and verbalize your faith. And some of us, we might need to get quiet tonight and say, God, I trust you. I'm here because of you. I believe in you in my heart. You know I, I, I believe you. But verbalize it. <coughs> Say it. Man, I got a problem. I'm going I'm to trust you with that. Lord. I need to take that. Let your care and, and turn your care to prayer. 
Be careful for, but everything by prayer. Casting all your upon Him because He cares for you. Trust God and verbalize your faith. Number two, focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, what can we trust God for? We can trust Him for His purposes and His power. Boy, listen to Brother Arbo's testimony. That wouldn't have blessing. Drive up there and get a fancy, fancy house for 500 bucks a month. Good night in the morning. I feel sorry for the rest of the world after hearing that right there. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? That's how good God can be. You know, he did. He trusted God's purposes, that God brought him to that place, and then God's power to help him. You know that he doesn't have a corner on that. He doesn't have a monopoly on the power of God. The provision of God, the same Jesus that he has, you have. And we can trust his purposes and his power. Notice what he says, if you would please, at verse number uh, 14. Knowing this, that he which raised up Jesus from the dead, raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. I want you to notice another thing real quickly. Not only believe God and verbalize your faith. Tell him you believe him. Focus on the person of Jesus. Realize that it's his purposes and his power that helps us. But notice, don't make your problem about you. You know, the quickest way to waste hardship and trials is to make it about you. Make it about me, how it affects me, my thinking, my feelings, my desires. This is, this is interesting. In this chapter, you'll see numerous references to we and us and our. And really, Paul was taking the brunt of a lot of these problems. But he, he didn't make it all about him. It was about me and us and not me, but us and we and our. Don't make it about you. Uh, trust and realize, you know, whatever problem I've been through, other people have gone through that similar problem. In the wee hours of the morning on, April, on August the 16th, we had found out that our 17-year-old son was involved in a car accident. He was riding with a precious family in our church that loved him as much as we loved him. But uh, they, he was a passenger in a seatbelt, and the driver was driving, and the man in the back was sitting there. They were having a good time. They were singing songs. And the lady got mad at her boyfriend. He was parked on the side and slammed the phone down and pulled out in front of their car. And they saw her and tried to go around her. And as they were going around her, she decided to do a U-turn simultaneously. And they hit the back of the car, went up on the hillside, it flipped over. And when it flipped over, it landed on the tires, and the driver got out uninjured. The man in the back got out uninjured. But our son, still stuck in a seat belt with stretch marks on it, something broke his rib, and one rib went into his right lung, and the other rib went right into his heart muscle. In a few moments after CPR and an ambulance pulled up, it wasn't even attending to that accident, just drove just right behind him and put the, 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 the electric shock on him and did all the CPR and did all he could do to revive him and then... Unfortunately, he began to hemorrhage out of his mouth and his ears and his, and his nose, and they realized he had internal bleeding somewhere. And he went home to be with the Lord. And about three hours later, we got a call from the, t the coroner. He said, Mr. Wilkerson, are you the, you the father of Tyler? I said, yes, sir. He said, we're sorry to tell you. After m multiple other things, he just said he sustained fatal injuries. 
Mr. Wilkerson, I'm so sorry. Your son died. And boy, I thought I, I, thought I was going to die myself. Linda was standing there in the hallway of her home at 2670 Magnolia Avenue, and she looked up into my eyes as I got the phone. She said, he's gone, isn't he, honey? We cried like little babies. But I tell you, one of the things that came to my mind really quickly is that we're not the only one to ever go through this. Even God knows what it's like to lose a son. He can help us. Other people have gone through this with a lot less help than we're going to help. We, we got like 1,100 cards in the first two weeks of, after his death of people just saying, we love you, we're praying for you. With unbelievable support. One of the first things that came to my mind is, you know what, other people have gone through this and God helped them and he can help us. And we're going to be in, a, in, a, in a, a camaraderie of other people who have lost. No doubt in this room there are precious people who have received similar news. I think about my friend, Brother Ed Bordell. His son didn't die suddenly. He died with an arduous battle with leukemia. The steroids had made him, he's just a boy, maybe 150 pounds at his heaviest, and now he's over 225, 30 pounds because he's bloated from the steroids, and he begins to bleed out his nose and his eyes and his ears, and he's got so much pain, and his dad's trying to hold him to find him a comfortable place, and, and his arms are about ready to fall off. He can't hardly hold him anymore up, and then he just goes in, into, into eternity. Well, I don't know about you. I, I think when I think about that, I thought, oh, boy, that was hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of, of bills and pressures and difficulties and hospital visits and chemotherapy and all the things. And that's how he transitioned his son. But God helped him. God knows how to help us. Don't make it about you. Make it about his purposes. His power. Once you notice the next thing real quickly, and we see the reasons. Trials come in seasons and they come for reasons. Nobody has a breakneck, terrible life from start to finish I know about. Matter of fact, most of our days are good days. Most, most nights we don't go to bed hungry, like much of the world does. Most of the time, even in this Frigid temperatures that you experience here, and we have a few like that, not near as much as you, bless your heart. <laughs> but, you know, we usually can find a warm place, even when it's 41 below zero. We can find a place where we can get warm for, for the time we have to be. God takes care of us, doesn't he? It's just sad, but many people make a case about, and they spend their whole life angry and frustrated about a few things done against them at the expense of all the things God's done for them. Well, they have maybe something didn't go right here, there, and everywhere, but most of their life's been a good life. And yet we focus on the negative. You know what? Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Here's a couple reasons that God gives us for trials. Look, if you would please, at verse number 15. For all things are for whose sake? Your sake. They're for the sake of others. They benefit other people when we go through difficult times. That the abundant grace, that's grace is God's help, might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. 
You know, when you have a problem, you know what it does? It humbles us. And when you have a problem that you can't solve, you have to say, oh, no, I need help. And you know what that causes you to do? Ask. And you know what that does? That causes God to give his grace to the humble. And when we ask God for help, we humble ourselves. But what makes us pray is helplessness and, and faith. <laughs> now, some of us, we don't pray because we, we, we got this. I do this all the time. We don't pray about stuff because we think we're, we got it. We do this. I mean, I can do this with my eyes closed. But the truth matters, I need God all the time. But helplessness, I'll tell you when you pray, when your loved one's in the hospital in the ER tonight and they can't do a bloom and think about it and they don't know what the problem is, you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Because now it crossed the threshold of your abilities. You got helpless real quick. I get helpless. And we'll, we'll talk to God. And then we talk to him and we get humble. And then what does God do? He gives us his help. That's what grace is. It's God's supernatural help. Did you save yourself? No, for by grace. We're saved by grace. God's help. And he helps us. And then when he helps us, we're thankful. And we thank him. We give the thanks to him. Well, when you get help and you're a mess and someone helps you, oh, you're thankful. And then it brings glory to God. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're still breathing today is to bring good to others and give glory to God. Helping others and honoring God. If, if you're not doing that and I'm not doing that in my life, I'm really wasting the breath God gave me. I'm supposed to give others a good opinion of the God that loves us and does so much for us. See, we find there's a reason for trials. Trials have a reason. They humble us, and we ask God for help. He gives us his help, and then we become very grateful people, and then we bring glory to him. Then I want you to notice real quickly the next thought real quickly. And, and of course, we're just talking about how to handle problems, laboring together with God through problems. Trust God and verbalize your faith in him. Focus on the person of Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners. Boy, if you say, Pastor, I'm having it so bad. Did you ever have it bad as Jesus had it? No, no, I don't think we can compare with that, right? I think we can make it. When you consider what Jesus, he did nothing but good and got nothing but bad. We do nothing but bad, get a few things bad, and we get mad. <laughs> Something's wrong with us. Got stinking thinking. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his purposes and his power. Focus on the purposes and the reasons so that we can get his grace and thanksgiving and glory to God. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. And I think we can see it real quickly in verse number 16. For this cause, for which cause we do what? We don't quit. For our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. You know, when you have problems, one thing you don't want to do is quit. The old, the old poet said, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will. When the road you're trudging seems all uphill. When the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. Huh. When care presses you down a bit. Sir, ma'am, rest if you must, but, but don't quit. Success may be failure when it seems like it's so far. 
So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things go wrong. You mustn't quit. He said, for this cause, we faint not. We don't quit. Because problems and trouble can put pressure on the internal, on the external, the outward man. But the inward man is renewed day by day. God's doing an inner work of grace. One thing all of us need is inner man strength. We need inner man strength to stay when we want to leave. We need man strength to study when we want to watch a, to- a football game. We need inner man strength to forgive when we want to hold a grudge. To give when we want to keep. Inner man strength to soul win. Inner man strength to disciple converts. You know, I think about listening to Brother Arbo's story, and I'm so glad Pastor Rice has having him do that. But you can hear the wonderful story about the the the. Um, the, the uh, nursing home. But how many years did he say he did that nursing home ministry? 22 years. When did they start giving him $500 a month? Year number 14. With nothing on his own gas, his own dime, his own time. 14 years times 52 weeks. Hundreds of times going to that nursing home. 48 funerals in one year. Doing what he had to do. I think that's called inner man strength, don't you think? Let's keep going. Well, that's sometimes all we can do is just put one step in front of the other. And keep going on. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. And then he goes on to say that really all of our trials are temporary trials. The doctor said, I got cancer. If you're saved, it's temporary. Not to belittle that, but the truth of the matter is, uh, it's temporary. Every problem you have as a child of God is a temporary problem. Because one day God will wipe away all tears from her eyes. There will be no more night, no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying. Everything. He goes on to verse 17. Look at it with me. We'll conclude. For our light affliction was but for a what? Yeah. Just a short time. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, which are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. And dear friend, how we handle our problems has eternal impact and dividends. Impact on others and dividends for you. The Bible says, blessed is a man that endureth temptation or trials. Because when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord giveth to everyone who loves him. Listen, God never wastes problems. He never wastes trials. He never wastes an attack. Look, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Satan who thought about Job. That was, that was done by God. He said, you know, I think, I think Job can handle it. I'll help him. Have you considered my servant Job? I don't know about you, but when you have a problem, one thing you might want to think sometimes, you know, God entrusted me with this problem. He thinks I can do it. He, he's going to do it. And all this Job sin not, sin not nor charge God how? Like an idiot. No, he, did, he didn't do that. He, didn't, he, 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 he exercised wisdom. Faith in God. 
and we're still talking about Job. And if you don't know your Bible, Job. <laughs> we're still talking about him for all that God used him to do. And when you have a bad day, you can say, well, not as bad as Job. He trusted the Lord. God used him. And he has eternal impact on our own life today, many hundreds of years later. Hey, has trouble been your constant companion? Believe God. And tell him, I trust you, Lord. I don't understand. I got more questions than answers, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take my care and make it prayer. I'm going to cast all my care upon you. Know you'll help me. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to trust your providence and your presence and, and your purposes and your power. I'm going to ask you for help. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on doing what God wants me to do because my problems are temporary and they have an eternal impact. Let's pray together. Could you stand with me? If God has spoken to your heart, <laughs> musicians over here and the people who did the uh, orchestra just it's fun to be together with God's people and to see them use their skill sets and I just did what pastor said about the Cornerstone Baptist Church for many people to have a good time and that's us a uh, few people have to labor more abundantly and give more aggressively and thank you very much for all you did to host this meeting for everybody who uh, put a liter of fuel in the in the tank to get here or paid for a hotel room or slept uh, in a place uh, to, to be here for this time. We really appreciate uh, your presence and participation in the meeting, and I'm glad to be with you especially. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jude, if you would please, the book of Jude. I was going to tell you, turn to Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, but uh, it's crazy. That was what I was supposed to speak on tonight, but Brother Arbo and I, we must be A&W because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're on the same page there, and, and uh, if uh, Brother Colton, Pastor Ashley, what are you going to speak on Wednesday? I said, I'm going to speak on finishing your course with joy, laboring together, finishing with joy, and, and then Brother Arbo just gets up and steals the whole message and then preaches that this afternoon, so I have nothing. I got nothing, and uh, so I actually, I wanted to go, if we can, please, the book of Jude, and uh, look at this, and I really, I really have enjoyed Brother Arbo's ministry and his precious wife, Reet, and just to hear him talk about stories of God's grace, and uh, boy, it's been a blessing to my heart, and just it's been provocation for me to do more and to love uh, deeper and try to be more faithful to the things of God, and uh, when I am um, old and in, uh, in years of, of, of his years and their years together, I hope that I can look back on and say, God, I want to be faithful to you and I want to see your hand at work. I've seen what I can do. It's embarrassing. A uh, few times I've seen what, what uh, God can do when he's the, he's the hand and I'm the glove, and it's a lot better that way. And You want to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh and... Um, it's just a, it's a, it's been a blessing to be with you and thank you again for the rice for your love and your kindness i cornerstone baptist church thank you for a place that linda and i have enjoyed staying and and a little gift basket that you sent our way and then many of you have have been so gracious to offer a words of encouragement and kindnesses to us we thank you very much let's stand together jude chapter one if you find two you can read there if you want to but i think we'll just stay in jude one and uh, let's look, if we can, please, at verse number one. Can we please? Together, the Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, and, and, sanctified by God. 
and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. Now we're going to turn to, turn and look toward the back of the book, if we can, please, if you don't mind. And let's look at begin in verse number um, 20. And let's read down to the rest of the, uh, the book. Can we please? Verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, Our Father, I thank you for the privilege to be here and just to uh, share with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this region of the world, in this generation, is a huge blessing to me. Lord, thank you for people who just uh, have been punching holes in the darkness with the gospel of Christ in the place that you have put them. And I pray that, God, you would help us as we conclude our, our conference this evening May you speak to my heart. May you please help me to share publicly what you shared with me in private. I pray that if there's something that I should not say, that I have planned to say, uh, I pray you would please, Lord, help me be sensitive enough to, to, not, to not do that. And if there's something I had not planned to say that you feel will be important for this meeting, I pray that, God, you would provoke my mind and my heart and I pray you'd give us help on both sides of this pulpit, and not only me and the choir behind me to just to, to, to say what we need to say, but then also those in front and those who are watching online. I pray that, God, you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can labor together and make a difference. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. I'd like to speak to you just for a few moments out of this book, laboring together to make a difference. I don't know about you, but I, I like to my life to have impact for the gospel. Matter of fact, I think it's a great prayer request for every man, woman, child, senior adult, single adult, married adult. You might want to pray this, God, use my life in some way to make an impact with the gospel globally. Everybody. I, I think that'd be a good prayer for you to pray. Say, Pastor, I'm not the pastor. Pray that prayer. Amen. Say, God, use my life. You're 13, you're a teenager. Pray that prayer. Lord, use my life to have a global impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You never can tell how that might happen. It might be through media. It might be through the videos of the, the John 3.16 story. It, it, I don't know. I just know this, that you want your life to matter for God. In just a few days, we're, gonna, we're going to be standing in front of the Lord. And uh, we want to make sure that we have, we're glad we did, not wish we would have. And I'm not impressed with where I am, and maybe you are, but maybe many of you are like me and say, boy, the biggest room in my life is a room for improvement. <laughs> 
I, 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 I need the Lord to use me. Jude is a unique book of the Bible. Once again, only one chapter. We believe Jude and James, the author of the book of James, were probably brothers. And they were brothers with Jesus. They were raised in the same house with Jesus. Probably took him a while to figure out that he was really the Messiah. Maybe he had to deal with some bitterness they had to go over because their mother uh, and Mary and Joseph would say to them, why can't you just be like Jesus? <laughs> and maybe they, they were like having a hard time, like uh, maybe didn't want to recognize him as the Messiah quite as fast. But nonetheless, they did come to faith in Christ, and James became, looked like to me, the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, oversaw the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. And Jude also, he says, I'm the brother of James, and assuming the half-brother of Jesus. And he spoke and said, uh, he said, I wanted to write to you to speak about a common salvation, but I needed to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to be able to rejoice and, and to link up with our brothers and sisters of Christ, just like we're doing tonight and enjoying songs and testimonies. And friendship and exchanges and handshakes and hugs and, and just to, to be together with God's people. But the truth of the matter is, uh, this is really a halftime uh, pep talk. This is where uh, we come to church and a church is not a, a place where we come and just slap each other on the back and, and, uh, and move on. It's really a time and you come to church Sunday morning, you come to a meeting like this, it's kind of like a halftime coach's talk. He gets in there and they played halftime. I just watched our son just a few minutes ago. He's, he, uh, before I came in here, he was playing a basketball game. Mason, our youngest of seven sons, and, and uh, watched him play the half, the half of the game. And Mr. Woosley, his coach, Coach Woosley will take him into the locker room. And they'll say, okay, guys, you're doing a pretty good job. I like your defense here. We're holding that guy to a limited amount of points. You're doing pretty good. Hey, but you're not doing very good with that. Now, you've got to make sure you box out and get the rebounds done and things of that nature. And he gets on their case. and uh, Now, get out there and let's play some basketball. Well, the truth of the matter is that's kind of what we do in church. Pastor gets in, says, you're doing a good job. Boy, bless the great to see you. Now, get out there and let's tell folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's, let's do this better, and let's start living a holy life and get off your stupid social media and watching things. They tell you a few things, and then we leave the doors and say, okay, we've heard from the coach. He's heard from the, he's heard from the Lord, and we've heard from God, and we're going out there and doing something for the Lord. But Jude said, i gotta, I got to earnestly uh, challenge you to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, the faith is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you and me is what comes to our little minds when we think about God. Is He a good God? Is He a gracious God? Is He powerful? Can He, can he handle this? Can I trust Him? See, the, higher, the deeper you understand the real God of the Bible, the higher your ceiling of influence becomes. And commitment. The more you will do for Him. When you love Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Him that cometh to God must believe two things about God, that he is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. The reason many people live such low lives and are not willing to submit to God is because they have a low opinion of him, and they don't trust his, report, his rewarding process. 
They don't know if they can trust if they give that he'll give back to them to give more. If they serve him, he'll be faithful to provide for them. If they get out on the limb, you want to get out on the limb, that's where the fruit is. But if I do that, can I trust the vine of the tree? Can I trust Jesus? He's the vine, I'm the branches. Hey, can I trust him? The Spirit speaketh expressly. The, the Apostle Paul told Timothy that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. See, he's talking the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He said, it's an important thing. And James says, I got to tell you, you got to stay faithful to the Lord and be faithful to him. And, and he tells us why in this passage of Scripture. If you look at verse number four, he talks about uh, you got to contend against the cults. Because there's many deceivers out there who, the devil's, the devil's one of his strategy is infiltration. He's not going to get your preacher up this next Sunday and talk about how to effectively worship Satan together. He's smarter than that. But he will get people starting to watch and listen to, to doctrines of devils, truth laced with error. He's the Trojan horse, if you will. And he infiltrates through several things. First of all, verse number four, through cults. Also through tares. People that have been implanted, and you'll see them in verse number five, the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. And they, they weren't really God's people. But they came out with God's people, and they showed, their, they showed their real colors later. And in every church, Satan has planted tares. People who look like Christians, act like Christians, they do things that Christians have, but they're no more saved than, than, than the devil is. It's, it's, it, it just takes a little time for you. They, they're growing up and looks like wheat. And at the end, there's no fruit. There's no identification with God. And Satan, is, he said, this is why you contend for the faith. Because of cults who bring in false teaching. Because of tares that have been planted satanically in the body of believers to grow up and, and are saved. And my friend, if you happen to be a tare, you know and God knows if you are. You need to really quickly uh, repent. Turn to the Lord. Beg for His mercy. I, I'd hate to go to hell from anywhere. But I certainly wouldn't go to hell from a place where the gospel is being preached. I think hell's going to be terrible for Adolf Hitler. But it'll be awful. It'll be equally bad for some clown that's sitting in a church and heard the gospel many times and rejected the gospel truth. Make sure you know that. He said another area that, that infiltration comes is Satan. If you'll look in verse number 6, you'll see he references the angels that fell. Demons. Demons infiltrate and frustrate things. As Brother Arbo has said, and, and no doubt every pastor could probably, who's been pastoring more than two weeks, can tell you the satanic opposition that comes in the work of the Lord. And sometimes, as a pastor, I think to myself, you can't make this stuff up. The comedy of errors that are taking place, the opposition... Listen to Brother Jeff talk about getting a building built for God, and he has fought city council. They decided, no, we don't want you to build that building, a church building. They fought him and, and had to reverse the order and go through that. And I'm sure he prayed his way through those problems. 
because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities. And, and Jews says, you got to contend for the faith because Satan is really good at infiltrating the body of believers uh, with false doctrine, with tares, with demons, and then with worldliness. The, the worldliness of Sodom and Gomorrah, he refers to here, that just creeps in. And this is why if your pastor stands for biblical truth and preaches against sin and against the likeness of this world, had a good young man in this, in this meeting came up to me and said, Pastor, how do you reconcile? And a great question. Day number two of creation, separation, and then uh, being in the world, but not of the world. How do you reconcile that? You've got to be separated from the world, but you're also asked to, to how can you win a world you're, you can't touch? It's a great question. And James, I think, answers that. He said, you keep yourself unspotted from the world. You're in the world, but I don't want the world in you. Like Jesus prayed in John 17, the high priestly prayer, he said, Father, I don't ask you to get my guys out of the world, but keep the world out of them. It's like a ship on top of the ocean. It does really good when it's on the ocean. It does really bad when the ocean's on the ship. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, that's the same way with the Christian life. You are on this world. You're not in this world. And you don't want the world in you. And it's very important because he says you've got to contend against worldly systems coming into your mind. Apostle Paul echoes this in in Romans chapter 12, where he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, here's where it takes place. It's the thinking. It's the stinking thinking of this world, trying to adapt it into this. Listen, God doesn't need to borrow anything from Satan to get his job done. He doesn't need to borrow anything from the world. You've got to be distinctively different. And I think holiness still is in vogue in God's opinion. And Jude said, you better fight against it. You better fight against the cults. You better fight against the tares. You better understand that you've got demonic activity taking place. And you better understand that the world is very aggressive. And we're very attractive to the world. You don't have to teach a three-year-old how to dance to rock music. They can figure that out real quick. You don't have to help them pick up on the innuendos and the, and the slang of the day. It just seems like we have a bent toward that. And we, we get tired of standing out when we want to blend in. Ten, teenagers can do that. I've seen 50-year-old pastors do that. All of a sudden, it just fit midlife and just flip it. Things that they, they, would, they would preach against, now they're doing. Going from a vibrant, soul-winning, uh, godly pastor to one celebration service a week. And a little bit of, of yin-yang and, and, and a little bit of a rapping of the word and go home and feel like you killed the big one. And you know what happened? The world got in there. Someone fell asleep at the wheel and didn't contend for the faith. He goes on to talk about these folks who are deceivers and defamers and defilers. And it gets worse and worse. And then he illustrates it through three Old Testament figures. 
Cain, who killed his brother Abel. It's a type of salvation by works that leads to violence. Any, any work, you know, have you ever heard anyone say, well, religion has started so many wars. You know why? The religions of works. The religion of work will eventually lead to violence. Whether I don't care what the background is, but you start, you get, you get, it can be Catholicism, it can be uh, Islam, Hinduism. For this last year in, in India, many churches have been burned. Persecution is going on. And it's why? It's motivated because of, of religion that salvation is, comes by works, which leads to violence. Cain. And then Balaam is another example. Balaam is someone who prostituted spiritual influence for financial gain. And once again, Jude is trying to ring our proverbial bell and say, listen, you've got to contend for the faith. You've got to watch out that you don't blend salvation with works. And you don't use your spiritual influences for personal financial gain. That's Balaam's trick. That's Balaam's, that's what his, his fallacy was. Don't do that. And then he goes on to, to speak about Korah. And Korah was a man who rebelled against godly spiritual leadership. And there are always, there's always a bully and a critic in most any good church. That is, is, is it falls to this thing. Where he just, he's got opinions about everything. He gets upset. There's something happened. There's a bitterness, a root of bitterness that troubles him and defiles other people around him. Or her. And he says, you got to watch out for the chorus. They rebel against God. Just like they did with Moses. They do in the local church today. And Judas just, I mean, you would think we're reading the USA today. This is 2,000 years ago. And the issues of life are still the same because humanity is still the same. Satan is still the same. The human nature is still the same. And he says, you've got, to, you've got to watch out for this. He said, these folks will be clouds without rain. They got a, they got a, a bulldog mouth and a chihuahua backside. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they got clouds, thunder and all stuff, and there's not a single drop of rain coming out of them. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. He said that they're, 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 they're these kind of men and these kind of folks, and they're twice dead. You know, to go to heaven, you have to be twice born. These folks are twice dead. It means they've not truly been converted. You're born, the Bible math is very clear. You're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. These folks are dead twice. Twice dead is what Jude calls them. He says they're empty. They're, they're, they're twice dead. They're awaiting judgment. They're murmurers and complainers. Casting accusations and complaining. They're not happy. Self-centered. Gathering others. Heresy is the Bible term for that. It really, heresy is drawing a line and trying to get other people on your side of the line. And it's human nature, but that happens today in churches. And listen, friend, when that, if you find yourself as a heretic, 
when you're creating causes, drawing the line and trying to get people on your side of the line, you better realize you are an accuser of the brethren and you are just like the devil. I don't know about you, but that's not a, not a group I want to be with. There is judgment prepared for people like that. He said, these people, they, they, they create a cause, they draw a line, and they, they, work the, they work the system to try to get people on their side of an issue. And there are a lot of things that, that you may not understand or you don't know, and I'm not saying, I, I think a, a pastor ought to be as open and as transparent as he can be, but your pastor on the best day of his life is still a human being. He needs the prayer and the support and the encouragement of God's people. And if someone's trying to get you on their side of the line and it's against pastoral authority, you better be careful. You might want to tell them, hold the phone, Joan. <laughs> I'm not so sure this is where we need to go here. Because you can clog up the flow of God's blessing, not only for your church family, for the cause of Christ, but for you. Yeah, and guard against that. Don't get your feelings hurt. You know, when love is thick, other people's faults are thin. And when love is thin, other people's faults are thick. Great peace have they which love thy law. And doesn't cause them to stumble. They figure it out. Love covers a multitude of sins. And Judah's saying, look, I'd love to just talk to you about how wonderful it is to be saved. But <laughs> it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. He reminds them here, he says, look, you got to watch the infiltration. you got to watch the ideologies and the defamers and the defilers and these things. you got to watch out for Cain, the doctrine of works. you got to watch out for Balaam, the, the itch for more, using spiritual influence for personal gain. You better watch out for Korah's who come to, to, to subvert and to, and to challenge spiritual leadership of the day. Watch out for those guys. And he begins to describe more of them, but he comes down to the end of this passage. And he uses a verse, in verse 22, you're familiar with it, and of some have compassion, making a difference. I want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. I, I think that's why you're here tonight. There's plenty of things you could do on a Friday night. Some of you blessed people have been here to listen to me preach seven times, and I am so sorry. I apologize for all that, and it's his fault. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, you've been here, but you're here because you, there's something inside of you that's stimulating you to say, you know what, Lord, if I'm going to breathe air, if I'm going to function in this world and just a few days see you, help me do something that would make a difference. How do we make a difference? Well, there, I think there's a criteria of four things here in our passage scripture. I'll give them to you quickly. And let's look at them if we can, please. Jude, and pick up, if you would, please, verse number 20. Four things we can do that, that could make a difference. Number one, but ye beloved, and he's, it's a transitional thought there. He said, I've had said all this stuff and separate They'll separate themselves, being sensual and having not the same spirit. These guys are not on the same page. Verse 19. But ye, beloved, who want to make a difference, building up yourself on your most holy faith. It's very simplistic here. But he says if you're going to make a difference, you've got to be strong. Your faith has to be strong. And for your faith to be strong, faith cometh by and hearing by. I want to challenge you, 
at this Bible conference here and this wonderful place with all we have, we need a real love affair with our Bible. Amen. We need to get in the book and let the book get in us. We don't need to correct the book. We need the book to correct us. Amen. We need to decide, you know what, I'm going to love my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to meditate on my Bible. Hey, the Scriptures... Someone said, though the cover is worn and some pages are torn and, and places bear traces of my tears. Yet, yet uh, more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see. Many trophies above from the Father above who's nearest and dearest to me. This old book, <laughs> it's my guide. It's a friend right by my side. And it will lighten and brighten my way, and each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and I heed it each day. Listen, friend, you can tell a lot about a person when you get a look at their Bible for a few minutes. Amen. When someone passes away I, and they're a Christian, I oftentimes ask the family, did they have a favorite Bible? And if they say yes, I said, could I, could I see it? Because I can tell a lot about a person, what they treasure. And I don't, you don't have to have an old Bible. Not here, usually, you don't read your Bible to impress anybody else, but I'm get, I get impressed when I see people. And we heard Brother Arbo taking a Bible that he read all the way through and marked up and gave him to his son who's getting married. What a great gift. I wonder whenever you die, sir or ma'am, will when any of your grandkids want your Bible? They'll know that places of tears. They'll know that, that, that markup and that thing that's so important. Uh, listen, that's where faith is fostered. It's the faith that gives me trust to believe God, but the just shall live by faith. We gotta love the scriptures. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. That's the Bible. With whom there's no verbiness, nor shadow of turning. You can talk about every gift God gives us comes from him. We understand that. But in context, James chapter one, that's talking about the scriptures. Because it goes on to say that we're born again by the, the seed of the word of God. It's what birthed us. So we are begat by, by the word of God. And then you're supposed to be received, that grafted word that's able to save your soul. It's the word of God and coming down. Isaiah chapter 55, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven. And it watereth the earth and, and causes to bring forth in bud. So that you have seed to hold on for next year's spring and then you have food to eat this year food for the eater so shall my word be that cometh forth out of my mouth it comes down from heaven it doesn't come on the soil of our planet it comes inside of me and it will accomplish that which he will and then the bible says and you'll go forth with joy and with peace and with singing is that what you're known for would your kids say oh yeah my dad man he's a peaceful man my mom, she's full of joy. My sister, oh, good night. She sings all the time the songs of God. You know why? A relationship with the Bible will bring change in that. It's so important we love our Bible. I want to encourage you. Hey, listen. If you're going to make a difference, the Word of God has got to be important to you. So I can encourage you, read it. Read it. Listen to it on your phone. Uh, listen, listen to it and, and absorb it. Meditate on it. You can't read your Bible when you're driving down the road. It's not a good idea. But you can listen to your Bible. 
And you can meditate on your Bible. You can think about the Bible when you're doing, doing, your, doing your, your dishes. You can meditate on it. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy. Hey, talk about the Bible. You know, it ought to be just as normal as breathing for a child of God for, for, for we to walk up to each other and say, hey, man, tell me something from the Scriptures. What, what's the Lord talking to you about? That ought to be just so normal. He said, don't let it depart out of your, you'll talk about things you love. Do you love your Bible? Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Love the Bible. Read the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Talk about the Bible. Obey the Bible. Whatever it tells you to do, memorize it. Commit it to memory. It's how we build up ourselves and our most holy faith. Number two, he says, not only build up your most holy faith through the relationship with the Bible, but praying in the Holy Ghost. There's no other way to pray. Is you need the Holy Spirit of God to pray. And prayer is one of those private disciplines we all need. I had a sweet brother today talk to me a little bit about that. And he said, you know, where did you get the idea of one in 12 people have a, um, have a, uh, a propensity for prayer. And I, it's, not, it's not proven. It's just I think about the disciples, 12 of them. And one, when, one, when they heard Jesus pray, one of them said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not all of them. One. I, I don't know if I would have been the one. I probably wouldn't have been there. But I'd like to develop a heart of prayer. Because prayer can do anything God can do. And, and God can do anything. And what makes us pray is helplessness and faith. What makes us good at prayer is practice and perseverance. And the Holy Spirit of God must be your prayer partner. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit who knows the mind of God can help us. You know, I think prayer is a two-way street. It's me talking to God while God's talking to me. I think some of your best ideas will come when you pray. I remember years ago just uh, driving and making a visit, and the Lord impressed on my heart through prayer a man. His name was Clive. And I, I thought about Clive. I said, well, that's not, dear Lord, bless Clive, help him to get saved. And, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, uh, that's not enough. I, I need you to contact Clive. Said, All right, I'll call him. And I, once again, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I'm just praying. I'm driving down 26th Street in Long Beach, California at the time, and just, just going on, made a visit and going another visit. And, and it was just in the middle of the afternoon. And, and so I called Clive. I said, hey, Clive, how you doing? This is Pastor Wilkins. He said, how'd you know? I said, how'd I know what? Well, he goes, Isabel's in the hospital. Or my, my girl's in the hospital. How'd you know? Who told you? Did school tell you? I said, no, I didn't know. Isabel's not her name. I can't remember her name. You remember? Annabelle. Annabelle. Annabelle's in the hospital. He said, I don't know how you knew. And he goes, well, you know, he said, I said, what hospital yet? He said, Long Beach Memorial. I was four blocks from Long Beach Memorial at that very moment. In a few minutes, I walked into an emergency room with an unsaved man that I've been w witnessing to and trying to see saved. And he, I walked in there. He goes, how could you be so close? How did you get here? Who told you? I said, Clive. God loves you. He's told me, and I, you know, went to school called you. I said, no, I, 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 it's just kind, it's a God thing. He goes, man, I'm tripping on that. 
But you know, the truth of the matter is, that could have happened many more times in my life if I would have kept that two-way street open. I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities like that. And we talk about Brother Arbo talking about the guy over on the bench. I wonder how many times God's done that to me. And I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm busy right now. Good night. I'm, I, I, he probably doesn't want to listen. And God's doing all he can do to, to help me pray in the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Ghost comes in according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you believe and you trust Jesus, he is your constant companion. He's your guarantee you're not going to hell. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's the one who seals our redemption. So I've got God's spirit inside of me. And aren't you glad he never leaves us? He can be greed, but he never leaves. He said, if I come into you, I'll be with you forever. I'm staying at a hotel here. One thing I knew when I went in that hotel, I was checking out. <laughs> the Holy Spirit never checks out. He makes you his permanent residence. But he's also your prayer partner. And Jude says, you know, if you're going to make a difference in a world that's been infiltrated, if you're going to make a difference in your church, your community, you've got to, first of all, you've you, you got to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Can I just remind you, sir, your wife can't walk for God, with God for you today. Ma'am, your husband may be a great guy. He can't walk your walk of faith. He can't read your Bible for you. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to decide to build yourself up in this most holy faith. Number two, pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, prayer has two main byproducts that come to my mind. There are many more. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. It, God says, I pray, pray for labors. Pray for provision. Pray for peace. Be careful for nothing but everything by prayer. Supplication with, let your request be known to God and the peace of God. You know, you ever, you ever notice how hard it is sometimes to pray? I think because the stakes are so high, Satan has to fight. He probably really fears a man or a woman that gets on their knees, that has a communion with God. He's got to stop that because that's where the real work is done. So if you're gonna if you're gonna make a difference, you've got to learn to pray. Pray for the lost to be saved. But prayer fosters two things. Number one, vision. Number two, passion. I think a man or a woman who learns to pray, number one, they have a vision to see things the way God sees them. Number two, they have a passion to do it God's way. Vision and passion. You find yourself lethargic, apathetic. Just getting along, going along to get along. You'll give a little here, there, give there, participate occasionally. But you know you don't have that passion. At one time, you were much more passionate. At much time, one time, you had much more vision clarity. Now it's all, it's all skewed. It's, 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 it's struggling. You're struggling. You know where you can find that again? The prayer closet. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, and he'll open up some things. We're talking about making a difference by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, by a real relationship with the Bible. And you can be as close to God as you want to be. If you're not close to Him, don't, don't play the blame game. It's not your work. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your circumstance. It's not your schedule. It's you. Remember years ago, I listened to a guy. He said he was preaching. He was a young preacher. And there was a little old lady in the church. And he was preaching. He had prepared a message. And uh, he was preaching away. And the little lady said, Oh, that's D.L. Moody. 
And it kind of took him off. He goes, oh, okay. When he preached again, he goes, that's Jack Hiles. That's Jack Hiles. And he guys got, well, he got, got him all flustered. And he said something else. And he preached. And she said, that's Billy Sunday right there. And he got so mad. He said, man, would you shut up? She said, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the truth of the matter is, that's us. If we don't have a relationship with the Bible, don't play anybody else's reason for that. That's you. <laughs> if you're not praying the Holy Ghost, man, quit playing the blame game. I just don't have time. No, no, no. There, there's, there's something we need to do. As Pastor said with us tonight, Brother Arbo, there's a price that comes. Some of us don't want to pray the price. We're willing to pay the price. There's many willing to pay. There's few willing to pray. There's many organizers, not very many agonizers. There's folks who, it's never has something so important be left to so few to do as to pray. Say, Pastor, I don't know if that's really true in our church. Promote a picnic in June. Say, we're going to have a picnic. Let's meet out at the park. Let's do it. See how many people show up. You'll have everybody and their mother out there. Then the next week, say, hey, Let's have a prayer meeting. We'll meet down at the church. Same time if you want. Let's have a prayer meeting. You and three other people will be looking at each other. Because it's just not a lot of interest there. And people say, oh, I don't believe in corporate prayer. You don't agree with Jesus. The early church prayed together. Jesus, whenever he was getting ready to go to the cross, he, he asked Peter, James, and John, would you watch and pray with me? Watch him pray with me, okay? I'll see you in a minute. I'm going to go over here. He goes over a stone's throw and begins to cry out to the Father. And two times, three times, he comes back to see if they're engaged in corporate prayer with him. And every time he falls, sees them sleeping. If corporate prayer is important, then why in the world would he go back and check on them? No, that was important to him. Daniel. He practiced corporate prayer when he found out all the soothsayers and the wise men are going to be killed by the king because they can't figure out his dream or the meaning of it. He goes back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and said, guys, would you pray with me? We got to get an answer. And the urgency caused them to have supplication, and God gave Daniel the answer. There was a prayer meeting there. And boy, how the Lord needs to help us to pray in the Holy Ghost. The next thing the Bible says, is to keep yourself in the love of God. I remember years ago visiting a man who was married and had three beautiful children and was living such a low, frustrating life. I remember going to him, and I knew he had a mistress on the side. I didn't know who she was, but I, I knew he wasn't being faithful to his wife. His wife told me that she felt that was the case. But he's in the hospital sick. And I went in there and saw him, and I called his name, and I said, you know, buddy, I want to encourage you to come to Christ to get back to the Lord. I thought he was saved. And uh, I said, um, it's disappointing, and you're hurting lots of people. I said, bud, do you believe that God loves you? I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Pastor, God might love me a little bit, but not like he loves everybody else. And, I, and I, said, I said, bingo, that's your problem. You don't, you don't, you're not convinced that God cares about you. That's why you live such a low life, because you have a low opinion of the love of Christ. 
Fast forward a few, few years later, I remember seeing him, and he was in the hospital again. I went and saw him, and he was still in that wicked state, I could tell. And, but he said, uh, Pastor, I can't talk right now, but would you see me tomorrow morning? I said, I've got to fly out tomorrow morning. He said, well, how early you have to fly out? I said, I have to leave for the airport, probably at 637. He said, would you come tomorrow morning, please? So I mean, it's like me at 5 o'clock in the morning. He said, I don't care. Would you come? And I went that morning. I saw him in his, in his, ho- in his uh, hospital room. And I said, uh, how can I help you? He said, Pastor, I, I'm not saved. I said, so you're struggling with your salvation? He goes, maybe you didn't hear me. I said, I'm not saved, Pastor. I never have been saved. I said, well... Let's take care of that. You want me to explain to you the gospel? And could I do it? He said, yes. He, he, had, he had gone through the gospel message with probably hundreds of people before. But I went through it with him. At the end of that, he accepted the Lord as his Savior. He contacted that mistress and said, you know, we're done. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to die, but I, I want to die being right with my wife and right with my kids. His life changed, his spirit changed, his kids were there when he went home to be with the Lord. His daughter sang while he transitioned from this life to the Lord Jesus. It, it, was, it radically changed his life. But I remember what he said. He said, um, maybe God loves me a little bit, not like he loves everybody else. You know, from the very first time that Satan opened his big mouth in the Bible, he said, yea, hath God said. You're not going to die. God just knows in the day that you eat this fruit, Eve, you're, you're, you're going to get out from under his thumb. He wants to make sure it makes life miserable for you. Because you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. Casting doubt upon the love of God. How about this? Jesus goes to John the Baptist. I want you to baptize me. He said, I'm not going to baptize you. You can baptize me. You're the Savior. I'm a sinner. You're the Messiah. I'm just a minister. He said, no, no, no. It's to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus, and John, baptized in the river Jordan, he comes out of the water, the heavens open. The Shekinah glory of God comes on him as clear as a bird would fly off a branch and land on his head. And then the voice of God comes down from heaven. This is my beloved son. This is my son, and I love him. I, this is the son that I love. Amen. And uh, I am well pleased. Fast forward, he leaves the water, he dries off, he goes in the wilderness, fast for 40 days. Satan comes to him. The next time Satan opens his mouth, he says this, you know what he says, if thou be the, God the Father said, this is my beloved son. But wherever God puts a period, Satan wants to put a question mark. And there are some precious people in this room, and you got it all going on on the outside, but you're struggling on the inside. And you, you cannot make a difference until God has made a difference in you. And one of the first things you do after you build yourself and believe and have the faith in God and learn to pray in the Holy Ghost is to be convinced that you are loved by God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Some of us have built a case against God because your parents got divorced. Build a case against God because your teeth are crooked. And not straight like your sisters. I mean, build a case against God because you are an immigrant. Or you didn't get the same shake as someone else got. Or, or 
you know, something bad happened to you and you felt like you should have gotten this, you didn't get this, or you had this and God let it be taken away and now you have put God on trial if he really loves you or not. It's never he loves me, he loves me not. It's he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Jeremiah 31 reminds us of that. He loves you. Believe it. Don't question it. And when God puts a period, don't let Satan put a question mark. Trust him. We're talking about making a difference. You'll never make the difference God wants you to make, and I'll never do it until I'm totally convinced that God loves me. It's one of the reasons why every daddy in this room ought to get a checkup from the neck up. And remind yourself that your kids need a dad who's not angry, who's not abusive, who's not addicted, who's not disconnected or aloof from them, but is engaged and that you love your children. Every child needs three things desperately. They need affection. They need direction and need correction from their mom and dad. But the most important of those three things is affection. If a child has a confidence that he is loved, he will take correction and direction much more readily. And we've got to be not lazy lovers. We've got to say, God, please help me to know what it means to love genuinely. And you cannot do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. Without the confidence in the Word and relationship with the Word of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first one out of the box of the nine there. And that's what we need. And he says, if you're going to make a difference, you've got to build yourself in the most holy faith by a relationship with the Scriptures. You've got to pray in the Holy Ghost. There's no other way to do it. You and the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be not drunk with wine, where's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. He says, pray in the Spirit. And then keep yourself in love of God. And the last one is anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21, would you please? Verse 21, the Bible says here, But keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. They say as much as a third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. If there's anything we know about God is that He's coming again. And He wants you To keep that in your mind. The devil wants you to think it's out there somewhere. God wants you to make sure you understand that God is sending his son and could send him at any moment. It could happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. It could happen in a moment. He could break the eastern sky. All our sorrows would be over. All its sorrow and its pain. It could happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. Coming again, coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and will be soon. Coming again, soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Listen, it's a wonderful truth, but it needs to eat us up. Jesus knew that his time was limited on the planet, and that's why he was so passionate. I think passion would be fostered more so if we understood that Jesus is coming again. Some, when I say that, some of you are like thinking, oh yeah, sure, they've been saying that for a long time. You, you're, you're the scoffer. 
how they said to, to Jesus, or Peter says, you know, there are many scoffers. He's, if he's going to come, when he come? I, I remember witnessing to a guy one time, Ted Marco Genesis, and he said, if your God's all that, why don't you come there and fix everything right now? You know, when's he going to come back? And it's a good thing he didn't come back because he'd gone to hell. <laughs> and that's exactly what God said. God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any would. Hey, Teddy, didn't want you to go to hell, buddy. That's why he's waiting. You and your little Bud Light. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to get it turned around there. Getting it figured out. And you know, th th we ought to be anticipating the coming of the Lord. I, uh, I love it to go to my house when Linda's there. If Linda's not there, I just want to sit in my van and wait till she gets home. I like being there. You know, of course, I like going to church. I really like going to God's house when God's there and he's home. But I'm looking forward to being with him one day. And I need to get more convinced about that if I'm going to make a difference. Boy, when you know Jesus is coming, there's a lot of good things that happen. Number one, you keep your hand out of the proverbial cookie jar. You, you elevate your behavior when you know that he's in the driveway. You get with it. Have, most of us have stories about when we, our parents went somewhere and said, now listen, when I get back, I want this done, this done, this done, this done, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, no problem. But we just watched too many episodes of Andy Griffith. And we hear him come in the driveway, and it's like, ah! <laughs> we got to get it together. Uh, God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be ready when he comes in the driveway and realize that he is coming around the corner. And we can serve him, and then we can make a difference. Building yourself up in your most holy. Hey, listen, what's your walk with God? Is the Bible just a book that you find on Sunday and Wednesday night? Or is it, is it a live, living relationship with you? And if it's not, let's start tonight to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. How about prayer? Are you praying in the Holy Ghost? Do you even contemplate the Holy Ghost when we pray? Do we even ever just close our mouth in prayer and say, Lord, maybe you tell me what I should pray for. Holy Spirit, you know the mind of Christ. You know what I need to know. Who do I need to talk to? About. Is there a sin you want me to confess? I, I'll just be quiet. You, you show me. Is there something I've grieved you or hurt you? Tell me. Close your little mouth and let the Spirit of God help you. Keep yourself in the love of God. Realize He loves you. And then anticipate the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. Let's pray together. Father, please work in our hearts. Help us to make a difference.